you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, find your way over to Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning, but uh, before we actually really jump in and kind of gain momentum of what we're going to talk about this morning, I have some kind of qualifiers as we kind of walk into what we're going to do this morning. So uh, many of you know, some of you know, uh, I was in, uh, Kim and I, and actually John and Denise Looney were in Washington D.C. this last week. Uh, every year, our Foursquare family, which is our denomination, has a, an annual convention where we get together, and this year it was in Washington D.C., uh, last week, Megan Forbes, who was a youth pastor, spoke. If you weren't here, you'll want to go online and listen. So it was really good. Um, but as I was, was thinking through, and you know, when you're when you're, you know, you're going to kind of be gone for a week, you do early preparations for things. And so uh, a week, the week before last week, I had prepared, knowing for this Sunday was coming, because this is a significant Sunday. And you're thinking, well, yeah, I'm at church. It's significant. Well, it's more significant than you even know. Because 2,000 years ago, there is an event that happened that defines how we live and how we actually do church today. 2,000 years ago, this day that we're on this Sunday is known as the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost meaning 50. And so after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his followers. And then on this day, he, he sends his spirit as he's promised to fill the people who are his followers to empower them ultimately to fulfill his purpose in the world. And so we, we, we pause today to think about this because what happened 2,000 years ago wasn't a one-time event where the Holy Spirit showed up. It was really cool and kind of freaky and kind of weird and tongues of fire came in. And we'll read from the passage. And, and people spoke in tongues and Peter gets up and, and has this great message and all these people get saved. And we're like, that was great for 2,000 years ago. That's really great biblical stuff, but that doesn't happen today. If that doesn't happen today, then you and I might as well just go home. If we don't expect that God powerfully works today as he did 2,000 years ago, then why are we doing what we're doing? And so the reality of today is I, I want us to understand that we're going to talk a bit about, we're going to read Acts chapter 2 here in a moment. But in preparation for that, I, I was thinking about my message. So I had a message already planned. In fact, I already given the notes. In fact, you'll notice that there will be nothing on the screens today. And if you're using the, the uh, Uversion app, there'll be no notes on the app today because yesterday... I just felt like God saying, you know what, what you had, it wasn't that I was being disobedient or missed God's will, but that's not what I want you to speak on. I want you to speak on this. I'm like, okay, God, I'll do that. So sat down yesterday afternoon and started to kind of think through, God, what are you wanting to say today in terms of this being the day of Pentecost, the day that really the church started. It's like the birth date of the entire church. This is the day that we remember that the church started. So as I started to think through, I started to realize it's, that it's important for us to really see the bigger picture of why, why the day of Pentecost. Why, let, me, let me read the, the verses, but, but what, what is happening in this moment, in, this, in Acts chapter 2, that is so significant, so significant for us today and why we need to embrace God and the way he works through his presence and his power in our life. So let me just read these verses. If you've been in, in church before, you've heard them. If not, maybe this is new to you, and it's going to sound a little strange, but, and I'll kinda, we'll kind of back up and give some context. But starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, so Jesus has risen from the dead. He's gone back to be with the Father. He's promised the Holy Spirit's going to come. There's a group of people gathered in a room together who are his followers, and this is what happens. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that's a pretty, in the church, is a pretty famous passage. Now, 
why, what in the world is going on here and why is this significant? So to really kind of answer that question, just really briefly, I want you to get the bigger picture of what God is up to, okay? So bear with me. We're going to go back way, way back in history, okay? We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are created. They're created in a perfect reality. They are in a context we call the Garden of Eden, which the Bible talks about, and the Bible also refers to as paradise. Why is it paradise? Because at that point, there was no sin in the world. And because there was no sin, Adam and Eve had this capacity, and this is what is unbelievable, to relate to the God of the universe directly face-to-face like we relate to each other. This is how they related. There actually talks about God would come walking in the garden. They would actually be with him. That was the context God created them. But if you know how the story goes... Adam and Eve sin, which means they decided in their mind that they could do it better without God and tried to do it on their own, and that's sin. And so in that sin, what happens is this huge separation between God and humanity. And even if you weren't there, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago with, with Adam and Eve in the garden, you and I all do the same thing. At some time in our life, all of us could admit, I've chosen to do it on my own apart from God. And so we're separated from God. So that's our reality. So now where it was this connection, now there's this separation. So it's like God's here, and then we're all the way over here. There's this separation. But God loves people so much. If it was you and I, if we were honest, we'd probably say, all right, Adam and Eve gave you your shot. You had your chance. Now you're done. No more. But God loves people, so God was never going to give up on his creation. He wasn't going to give up on people. So the rest of human history, and I won't go through all of it because we would be here forever, is God reaching down into our human existence to get our attention, to draw us back into relationship with him. That's why he actually comes to a man named Abraham and says to Abraham, by the way, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you possessions, and I'm going to make your family great, but not because I I love you, but because I do love you, because I love the world, and through you, I'm going to bless everybody. And he wasn't just talking about, he wasn't talking about financial gain. He was talking about the ultimate blessing that would come through Abraham's people, which eventually was what? The nation of Israel was going to be Jesus, the son of God, that would take away the sin of the world and then once and for all restore people back to God. So the trajectory of human history is this. God is in the process of trying to get closer and closer and closer and closer to you. That's human history. God is pursuing every single person. He's coming after you. Why? Because his ultimate desire is to restore what was lost in the garden, which is God wants to relate to every human being in a face-to-face reality and relationship with the God who created us. But because of our sin and brokenness, we are separated from him, but he keeps trying to be with us. That's incredible news. And even though you've given up, he never gives up. He keeps pursuing and keeps pursuing and keeps pursuing. And here's the dynamic of how we understand this. There are two realities of the way that God is with us. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have said yes to him, you've come to that place in your life where you realize you can't do it on your own and you come to a place where you give your life over to Jesus, you realize your life is broken and sinful and you need his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and you're surrendering him and you can call it what you want. You became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a child of God. You know that's happened. This, there's amazing dynamic that happens in your life. You experience what we would call the presence of God. Now, there's two dynamics I want to talk about today, presence and power, but you experience the presence of God. And let me explain to you what I mean, because this is the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, usually when we talk about God, we, we, we use a phrase that isn't in the Bible, but it's how we define how we understand God. It's the word Trinity, which means not three different gods, but it means one God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We get the Father, we get the Son, but let's be honest, the Holy Spirit just freaks us out. 
Anybody want to admit that? We don't know what to do with him because when we read stuff in the Bible, it's crazy. And then sometimes when he, he shows up in people's churches, it gets crazy. And you're like, all right, I can hang with the Father and the Son. But man, don't let me go get around the Holy Spirit because I don't understand him. The Holy Spirit is just this integral part of, of, of who we are and the expression of who God is as the Father and the Son. So here's what happens to you and I is that, that, that when you say yes to Jesus, God wants to be so close to you that his presence now dwells in you. Whether you know it or not, at the moment where you say yes to Jesus, God says, okay, now you're going to get the, the Holy Spirit. You're going to get all of the Holy Spirit who's going to live in you. Now, for some of us, like, I didn't feel anything different. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that means. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true because you didn't feel it. But the reality is the Bible tells us this is what happens. But there's three things I want to start with when we talk about the presence of God that we experience, whether we know it or not. This is something that's happening in our lives every day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit actually is living inside of us when you said yes to Jesus. The first thing, this is the first reality of that. Why does God do that? Because God has set up that he has placed in you by his spirit. This is the first reality of God's presence. God has placed his spirit in you as a security deposit for the future. This is significant. Listen to what the Bible tells us. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, this is NIV. It says, Now it is with God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us. And this is verse 22. Set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What is a deposit? A deposit is something, and usually it comes through financial means, that you place on something that at a future date you are saying, I am dead serious about buying that and owning it. So if you bought a house, we use, the term is used is earnest money. I'm going to put money up front to say, I'm serious about wanting to buy this house. When we bought this building, we had to put some money up front so that the owner knew we are serious about buying this building. We put deposits on things all the time. And what is it? It is a demonstration of something that says, I want you to put that, that car, that house, that possession on hold for me because my plan is full and complete ownership. Here's the beauty about the way God's deposit works compared to ours. God's deposit is non-refundable on his side. You and I may want to walk away, but no, he's deposited his spirit and says, it's a guarantee for you because it's my work in you. Just think about that for a moment. The God of the universe loves you so much that even though you're a sinner and you're broken, that we are, we're flawed, he says, okay, now I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. Why? Because someday you're going to experience what Adam and Eve experienced. You're going to get face to face, and I am putting a deposit in you as a guarantee this will happen for you because there are days when you and I, we doubt that it's going to happen, don't we? But God says, listen, my presence is with you and in you. Why? Because there's a deposit placed in you. What could be more valuable than the, the God of the universe sending his spirit, which, who is fully God, to be present in our lives and saying there's a guarantee for your future? Now, I know most of us don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm guaranteed today. I feel so well about myself because I know that someday I'm going to be in heaven because there's a guarantee. Now, some of us do, but most of us don't even think twice about it. But God has already put a deposit on your life because God wants full ownership of your life so he can relate face to face with you. Second truth about God's presence, what his spirit looks like when his spirit is in our lives, is he looks like a faithful friend. You think, friend, the Holy Spirit, God's presence. Yeah, this is really important because you and I don't know what ultimately, many of us don't know what a faithful friend looks like. We have lots of friends, but we'd really sometimes be hard-pressed to find one that's totally faithful, which means on your worst day, they don't blink. They don't hesitate. They don't walk away. They still love you fully. 
Listen to what the Bible talks about God's presence in our life through his Holy Spirit. A couple different passages. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews reminds us, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. But why would the writer of Hebrews talk about God never leaving us and forsaking us right after he says, by the way, don't be so focused on money. Be content with what you have. Why would he say that? Because all of us, depends what season of life you're in, but all of us, many, for, for some of us, it may be one time, for many of us, it's a lifestyle. We disconnect from God in pursuit of possessions and money to think it's going to cause us to be happy when God's saying, no, 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 no. You are one day going to leave me separate from me, even though I'm not going to leave you, and you're going to go after things that you think will make you happy, and you're going to pursue those, and by the way, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, even if you do that. Even if you go looking somewhere else to find the only thing that can actually bring you contentment in life, and that is my presence in your life, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That's crazy, is that not? I mean, think about the the person in your life. If you completely turn your back on them and you walk away from them, most people would say, fine, I'll do the same to you. But God says, if you ever turn your back on me and you pursue other things, I will never turn my back on you because I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Why? Because my spirit is deposited in you as a guarantee of the future. Even if you walk away, I will still pursue you. That's God's presence. That's the way he works in our lives. Listen to what Jesus says after he gives us what we talked about a couple weeks ago, the Great Commission, which is basically says, go make disciples, go help other people to know who I am. And Jesus says this phrase in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That he's present when, when things are difficult, when it's overwhelming to follow Jesus on your worst day, when your life goes off the rails. Guess who's still there? Jesus is through his spirit. And how many, how many, you don't have to admit it, but I know there's been moments in my life where I'm like, that is a bad day. And at the end of the day, I'm thinking, there's no way in the world God is still with me. Anybody want to admit you've ever had one of those days? I have. And God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age, to the end of time. I'm never going anywhere. Even on your worst day, I'm still going to be present. Why? Because my spirit has been deposited in you as my guarantee, not your guarantee. You can't guarantee anything, but I can because I'm God. God says that to us. So we have this deposit that guarantees our future, and he's this faithful friend. And then here's the third reality. This is one I just, is, is mind-blowing. God's presence, God's spirit works in us this way as a place where God lives. This is significant. Remember I've told you, so the trajectory of human history is what? God getting closer and closer and closer. And then through Jesus, not easy to just close, he's in by spirit. He says, I'm going to live inside of you whether you know it or not. And then this is what's crazy is that if you understand the way that God works in the Old Testament, that God's presence used to be tied to a location through a specific person. So when you start to read through the Old Testament, you realize, especially when Israel kind of becomes this nation, Moses is their leader, and as they are traveling through the wilderness, they have this thing called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, which is a temporary housing place for God's presence where Moses would go and meet with God. And then he would come back, and there's times where he would come out of the tent of meeting and his face would be glowing because he just spent time with God. But that was only Moses, and that was only in the tabernacle. And the rest of the people had to basically glean from Moses what God was saying to them. And then when they finally became established and they got their own country or their own land, you remember the story, then eventually a temple is built, and now that temple represents God's, God's presence. 
And so that still means that God's presence is tied to a location through a certain person called the high priest who goes into the Holy Holies and makes a sacrifice on behalf of all the people for their sin. But only that one person accesses the presence of God. If you read through the Gospels, when Jesus died on the cross, it says that the veil that separated the people from the holiest place where God's presence was was ripped from top to bottom. And God was saying, now my presence is not in this building anymore. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you catch that? The God of the universe is not tied to a location. He's tied to your soul. And everywhere you go, he's there. You don't need Pastor John to get to God. You don't need a priest to get to God. You don't need a tabernacle or a temple because you're it. Because God's spirit lives inside of you. Now, I know probably 95% of us, we got up this morning, we didn't think that way, did we? You're like, man, this temple's not doing too well, is it? (laughs) Right? And that's kind of what Paul was talking about. Like, do you realize that you're the temple of God? That God's chosen to dwell in you? So look at your life and look at yourself differently. Look at yourself, not just like, hey, get your act together, but look at yourself with value that God says, listen, you're more important than the, the, the temple that Solomon built, which there was nothing like it. You're more important than that. Why? Because my presence doesn't dwell in that temple. My presence dwells in you, in your soul. When you say yes to Jesus, that's what happens. Whether you know it or not, God so desires to be with us, now he has actually placed his spirit in us as a deposit, as a friend, and as the place that the Holy Spirit lives. That means everywhere you go, God's spirit, in the fullness of who God is, is with you, even if you don't feel that he is. Now, that's God's presence, and that's something that we all access. But you know what I've discovered in my own journey? In my own journey as a follower of Jesus, and as well as the the journey of others I've watched, is that All of us have access and experience the presence of God, but not all of us experience the power of God. Because God came to be present with his people, and he's done that through Jesus and the placement of his Holy Spirit in our lives, but he didn't do that just so that we could say, great, I've got the Holy Spirit, I've got the guarantee, I've got the deposit, now I just kind of hang out and wait till Jesus comes back because it's guaranteed on his behalf, and so I'm good. No, that's not the end of the story. That's where we get to Acts chapter 2. Because the 120 people gathered in that room all had some experience with Jesus where they had come to know Jesus in a way that they had given their life to him and there was still more that God had for them. They had received the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation, but they had not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit that came when they were filled in Acts chapter 2. God's desire is that would happen for every follower of Jesus. That's when you read the scriptures. I'm not going to take long just because I'm not going to argue the case because there is no argument for it. If you just pick up the Bible and read it front, front to back, you will discover that the Holy Spirit can never be removed from the scriptures. The Holy Spirit can never be removed from the church. The Holy Spirit's work through the power of what God wants to do is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm saying that because I know some people are like, oh no, that was for yesterday. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. That's a man-made argument because we don't know how to handle the Holy Spirit because he freaks us out. So we come up with theologies to explain him away so we feel comfortable and safe again. You know, anytime we come up with theology to limit God, it's not a good theology. It's not. Now I'm going to move on because I don't want to argue the case and I'm not up for a debate on that one because go to the scriptures and if we go to the scriptures, you can't get away from it. So with that understanding, if God wants us to actually experience not only his presence, which we have, but his power Why do we need his power? 
Why isn't it just good enough? You know, I'm just going to hang out with Jesus because his spirit lives in me. I'm good. What is it about power that we need in our life? There's four things I want to highlight that we are desperately in need of in our lives, in our church, and in our world. The first one is this. We need God's power because we need clarity. Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 16, and he said some very important words because he was telling them, I am going to go back to be with the Father, and when I go, I'm going to send my spirit in his fullness to you. And when he comes, these are the things that are going to happen. These are the things that he's going to do. And Jesus says this in, uh, in John 16, verse 8. And he says, and when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then the, the following verses, Jesus kind of unpacks what that means. But, but what is Jesus saying? When the Holy Spirit shows up, he's going to do something that you as a human being cannot do. He is going to convict people of sin. You can't do that. We can't do that. He's going to convict people of righteousness. You can't do that either. And he's going to demonstrate the reality of what judgment looks like for people. And we can't do that either way. We can't convict somebody of sin because we're not God. We can't convict somebody to live righteously because we're not God. And certainly we don't have the right or the privilege to judge somebody's eternal soul. Only God can do those things. Why are those important? Because we live in a world that is absolutely upside down is completely confused about who God is, does not understand the first thing about the reality of God creating all things and what Jesus has done to bring people back in relation with God. Our world doesn't get that anymore. Our world doesn't understand that anymore. And we live in a culture that is dying for clarity. And we sit back sometimes as Christians and we look at the world and we judge them for their decisions, not realizing they're lost and confused. Jesus came, it says in the Gospels, Jesus came up upon crowds and multitudes, and it says that he was moved with compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. Not sinners condemned to hell, and so he came to, no. His heart broke for the culture he came to because he realized the reason they're making decisions that they're doing, the reason they're in lifestyles that they're in, the reason they're doing what they're doing is because they don't know what to do because they're confused. But then the Holy Spirit through his people comes along and cuts through all the arguments and convicts somebody of their sin that you couldn't convince them that was sin. How many times do we keep telling the world, this is sin, and they go, oh no, it's not. That's wrong, oh no, it's not. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and they go, yes, it is. Because you can't convict somebody of sin. How many of us can make somebody live a right life? Don't raise your hand. I'm giving you the answer, okay? You can't do it. Who's the only one that gives the ability to, for someone to live righteously? God. The Holy Spirit. Jesus purchased righteousness for us on the cross. We didn't earn it. And that's the exchange. Jesus says, I'll take your sin, put it on myself. I'll become the offering for your sin. And then, by the way, in return, you get my righteousness. That's a supernatural, God-given, divine reality that can't be done by human beings. We need the power of God in our culture. We don't need a new apologetic. We don't need a new church. We don't need a new style. We don't need a new technique. We need the power of God to show up in people's lives that brings conviction to people that means you don't have to tell them something is wrong or right. Why? Because the Holy Spirit works in them. If you have kids, you know this is true. You can tell your kid over and over and over again what's right and wrong, what's right and wrong. Eventually, God has to get a hold of their heart. It can't just be because mom and dad said it was right or wrong. It's because why? Because God did something deep inside of me. And now I see clearly what I needed to see. 
We need the power of God in our life. Anybody ever been slightly confused by your own sin? Yeah, we all have. And if we had the clarity, which leads to the next thing, we would actually know the truth. Because the second reality of why we need God's power is not only for clarity, but because of truth. We need to know the truth. Listen to what Jesus goes on in John 16, and it says by verse 13, he says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, and for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks or he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit comes and highlights for you and I, this is the truth. And when the truth comes, it means clarity comes, and it isn't because you and I had a great argument to convince somebody or convince ourselves the power of God shows up. That's why when you read through the Gospels and Jesus shows up in somebody's life and God comes by the power of his Holy Spirit, they change. Zacchaeus is a perfect example. We have no record of what Jesus said to Zacchaeus in Zacchaeus' household. We don't know. We just know the encounter on the street there when Zacchaeus was the tree, and then Jesus announces to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. That's all we know. And the next thing we know is that Zacchaeus is standing up repenting for his sin. And there's a genuine brokenness in him. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Spirit got a hold of him and brought him to a place of, this is the truth, Zacchaeus, about your life. Now you're seeing it clearly, even though it was already there. But now the truth has come to you, and the truth is transforming your life. Why? Because Jesus brought the answer to Zacchaeus' questions. And you and I all live with questions, and you don't know it. In fact, sometimes we live with questions that we don't know we have, and we don't even ask them. And the question is this, how do I get out of the mess that I'm in? How do I break the cycle of addiction in my life? How do I live in good relationship with people? How do I restore my marriage that is broken? How do I parent my kids properly? How do I do all these things? And you know what? Let's be honest. We don't know. We don't have the answer. Why? Because the answer lies with the truth that God brings through the presence of his Holy Spirit that equips us to do things that we can't do on our own. That's what we need. The power of God brings truth to the Holy Spirit that illuminates to us the truth that gives us answers to questions that we wish we had. I don't understand fully how God works, but I know that he does work. And I think so many times in our life, we try to figure out how God's going to do something instead of just embracing that God's going to do it. See, that's where we get hung up. God wants to reveal his truth, but we want to give him the formula on how he's supposed to do it. Think about it. We do. How many times is like, take the 10 steps of this or the five steps of that? And there are no steps in the Bible. Jesus doesn't work consistently the same way all the time. He doesn't. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, almost every, not all of them, but almost every miracle Jesus performs, he does it in a different way. Why would he do that? I think as a, as a statement to his people, don't try to find the formula because the power is not in the formula. The power is in the Holy Spirit. And if we're willing to do that, that means how is God going to work in my life? He's going to draw me to truth. How is he going to bring answers to the questions that I have? If I seek him, he's going to bring truth to my life and bring an answer. Perfect illustration. Acts chapter 10. Peter. Remember Peter? Peter's always getting challenged in his faith. In fact, some, this last week at, at our convention, someone communicated, actually was reading from uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 17, and the translation she was reading from it said this about Peter, and I'll, I'll give you the context. It described Peter as being confused and disturbed. Now, when you hear that, you're like, I don't want to be like Peter. I don't want to be confused and disturbed, right? I want to know. I, I want to have clarity, and I want to be at peace. But, but if you understand what's going on that, around in that, this is really important. 
Talk about understanding truth. Peter one day goes up on top of the roof of the house that he's in to pray. And God literally, it says, God puts him into a trance. So he starts to see a vision. And the vision Peter sees greatly confuses and disturbs him. Because Jesus lowers in front of Peter the sheet with all of the food on it that Jews are not supposed to eat. And then Jesus says to Peter, eat. And Peter, like a good Jew, even in his own vision, rebukes Jesus again and says, no, 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 I can't do that because that would be violating the rules that we have about the dietary restrictions of the Jewish culture. And then Jesus says to him, what I have made clean, you cannot make dirty. It's clean, Peter. And here's the crazy thing. All the while this is going on, you know what's happening? Peter's seeking God for clarity in his life, and now God is giving him truth. And you know what that truth is doing to Peter? It's causing him to be confused and disturbed. He's challenging the truth that Peter thought that he knew because the Holy Spirit's reviewing something to him that he did not know before. At the same time, there's a man named Cornelius who doesn't fully know Jesus yet, but he's a God-fearing person who actually does pray and tries to live a righteous life, but he doesn't have the reality of who Jesus is to connect him to God. And he's seeking God for more while Peter's seeking God for clarity. And at the same time, God answers both of their prayers with each other. Because if you know, the story goes on that Jesus also tells Peter, there's some guys going to show up to the door right now and they're going to ask you to go with them, go with them. And so Peter goes with him, goes back to Cornelius' house, who was a non-Jew. And Peter, can you imagine, now Peter's been told to eat what is unclean because it's okay now. And then Jews would never do this. Peter steps foot in a Gentile's house. Why? Because this is the truth that God's revealing to him. And then presents the gospel to Cornelius, his family, and they all get saved. What's happening there? The truth that Cornelius was looking for came through Jesus and the messenger named Peter. The truth that Peter was looking for was a new revelation from God that what he thought was unclean, God had made clean. That's truth. How many times in your life have you sought God and said, God, I don't have the answer to this, but I know you know what the truth is, and I need your spirit to guide me into all truth. When was the last time you did that? Because we are all faced, I know, every day with things that we don't understand and we don't have answers for. But Jesus has truth through the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what that was like for Peter to learn a truth that he didn't think was a truth? That's the way God works, which, by the way, that's a side note. Not always, but many times when you find yourself confused and disturbed, that is the moment that God is at work in your life. He does, because Jesus is very disruptive, by the way, if you don't know that. He disrupts everything about your life. You're like, oh, he comes in peace and joy and comfort. Yeah, he does, but he will mess up your life completely. Because he's about turning things upside down so that you see the reality of what life's supposed to look like through him. And then there's a third, a third thing that we need, why we need God's power, and that's because of sin. We are all sinners, amen? All of us. We're all broken. We don't have an answer for our own sin. And we don't have the ability to overcome our sin. We have the ability to modify our behavior, but we do not have the ability to overcome our sin. Only God has that power. This is something Paul, the Apostle Paul, understood. And this is what he wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This is in the New Living Translation. It says this, Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And then he goes on to explain what we call what the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in your life. 
Why is this significant? Because I'll tell you what we, most of us do. When we are faced with an issue in our life, an addictive behavior, a habitual sin, failure in our life, you know what we tend to do? We focus on the failure and try to fix it. We do. If I'm going to break an addiction, I have to go after that addiction. I have to deal with it. I have to, yeah, there's parts of it. That's true. But you know what we always miss in the equation? Paul doesn't say focus on the addiction. What does he say? Walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you in the way you're supposed to live your life. Don't worry so much about how you're not going to do that anymore and focus in on what God's wanting you to do now. Because the more you focus on that sin, the more it will control you. And even if you break the addiction, it still will, will hold you every day. Why? Because your whole day will be consumed with how do I avoid the sin? It's still winning in your life. You've modified your behavior, but you haven't been freed. And God wants to bring freedom from sin in our lives. And this is one of those areas, again, I tell you, I don't know why God doesn't work consistently the same way every time. It would be just easier for us, wouldn't it? It's like, okay, now I can know. A, B, C, boom, it's God, right? Anybody with me on that one? He doesn't work that way. And that's why I have friends who have experienced freedom from bondage and sin and brokenness in their life, and it's been done a variety of different ways. For some people, I have close friends where literally, I met one of my friends, we were working together for a number of years, and he was telling, he was sharing with me what he'd experienced in his life. And this is what he said. He said, listen, he said, I was a drug addict for years. And he said, I tried everything to get free, and I couldn't. And he said, in a moment, one night, he goes, I, I came to Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus, and he said, this is what happened to me. I, I, I was saved, and in the next moment, I was filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I actually spoke in tongues, which is a language he didn't understand, all at one time. He said, the next morning I woke up and I never had a desire to tr touch drugs again, ever. I'm like, I want that, right? <laughs> Any ailments I have? Let me see. I pray the prayer, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Next morning, boom, it's gone. But then I also have other friends who have fought a battle of addiction for 15 or 20 years in their life. And they keep trying and they keep failing. They keep trying and, they, and, they, and they're going through a process and they learn things. And then over time, eventually, they find freedom. And I'm like, God, wait, 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 wait. One night or 20 years, why can't it be one night? And God still brings freedom the way God brings freedom. I, as a human being, don't get to critique the way God works. I just know God works. And I trust him. God wants us to be free from our sin. Jesus broke the power of sin, which was death, because ultimately death is what is at the end of our sin. And that's taken care of. Why? Because Jesus was perfect and he paid for our sin. Therefore, before God, we're perfect. So sin is not going to condemn us to death, but sin can wreak havoc in our life if we don't find freedom in Jesus. And one of the ways that freedom comes is when we surrender to the fullness of the Holy Spirit who brings power into our life and transforms our souls. And then what we do, what we don't walk by the flesh anymore, we walk by the presence of the Spirit in our life who says, this is the way to go. Then you won't have to worry about going over here. And then finally, the final point before we'll conclude here with a time of, of response to what God is saying is that we need God's power to be his witnesses. Now, I'll guarantee you, because I know, I'm losing most of you right here. Because you're like, okay, I got it. I need truth and clarity, and I need power over sin, but oh, Pastor John's going to talk about that witness thing again. He's going to talk about making disciples and the Great Commission and all that stuff. Yeah, that's not for me. That's for other people. You don't have to raise your hand if I've just described you, okay? You know who you are. The reason I say that is because you don't get to disconnect the two. You and I don't get to get freedom over sin through the power of the Holy Spirit and then not be people who testify about what God has done in our life. 
You don't. That's called selfishness. And God has done something in you because he loves you and he wants to do something through you for the sake of the world. And so when you get to Acts chapter 2, what's happening is there's a group of people who have witnessed the resurrection. They've seen Jesus die. They've seen him come back from the dead. They are all in. In fact, just by virtue of being in that room together, their life is on the line because they know that the Jews hate them because they're followers of Jesus and the Romans hate them because they think they're going to overthrow the government. So their life is on the line. They're all in with Jesus. They're in this room seeking God and then the Holy Spirit shows up and does what? The very thing that Jesus promised he was going to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Jesus says to his disciples, the the last recorded words we have of Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus promised. He said, I'm gonna give you power. Power that you've never experienced before. Power that's gonna go way beyond your human ability. Why is that important? Because we need power. Because none of us, majority of us, I should say that's probably an exaggeration, most of us are not natural witnesses. We're not. We tend to pull back when others would advance. We tend to be private when others are public. We are afraid to do what Jesus has called us to do because we're afraid of our reputation. We're afraid people will reject us. We're afraid that people will think we're weird. We'll get marginalized as weird people. And in fact, in our culture right now, the two terms that get used to describe Christianity is irrelevant and extreme. That's what the culture, there's a book written, 60% of all Americans will label Christians as irrelevant or extreme. So we've got that going against us. We know that we're going against the current. And so I don't want to say anything because I'm going to be looking like an idiot. So I just will just be quiet and I'll let somebody else do it. You haven't experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit yet. You haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. You haven't experienced the power of God in your life yet. Why? Because he'll transform your soul. And when he transforms your soul, you can't be quiet anymore. You can't. Look at what happened in Acts chapter 2. Peter, I can't find too many places except one before Acts chapter 2 where Peter makes this profound statement that's so true. It's the one statement we make when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter got it one, one right out of like a hundred, right? This is a guy who could not do that. He, he had a tendency to speak and speak the wrong thing at the wrong time. So Peter experiences the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What happens in Acts chapter 2? He stands up. And it spills out into the street, and he starts saying to people, no, 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 what you're thinking is, is drunkenness is not drunkenness. This is the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is exactly what the prophet Joel talked about years and years ago was going to happen. This is now. And, and so Peter preaches this amazing message about Jesus' death and resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of the day, anybody recall what happens at the end of the passage? 3,000 people are saved and are baptized in that day. Peter is not that good. He's not, and if he were here, he'd be the first to tell you that. How in the world did Peter do that? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and had a capacity to do something he couldn't do in his humanity. He couldn't, but God did it through him. Anybody want that? I do, because I know I'm convinced in my life, and I know this is true for so many of us. You're like, man, I would never stand up and testify about Jesus in a public gathering. You know why? Because many of us would never even walk across the street to talk to our neighbor. You're like, oh, Pastor John, you on that one again? Yeah, I am. I said this first service, and I'm convinced. There are three to 400 people who call Antioch their church home. What if three to 400 people actually took seriously when Jesus said that we're supposed to love our neighbors? What's the most loving thing that we can do for our neighbors? 
is demonstrate the love of God through Jesus in our life and get over ourselves and have the confidence and, and the power in us to actually cross the street, build relationship with neighbors, and let them into our lives. You know, it's, it's really funny. I don't know what it is, but when I'll tell stories about talking to my neighbors, I've had a number of people who somehow don't believe me. I've had people actually tell me they've driven by my house on a Saturday morning to see if I was out mowing my lawn talking to my neighbors. Really? You should be at home mowing your lawn talking to your neighbors, not worrying about if I'm talking to my neighbors. As though I'm going to catch Pastor John on a lie. So would I need to pull out Facebook Live next week and say, hey, here's my neighbor, we're having a conversation. Sorry, I'm a little punchy, okay? But the point being is, why do we not do that? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of our neighbors. But you know what our neighbors are dying for? You know what they're longing for? They're longing for a real Christian to show up in their life. They're looking for truth in a confused state. They want clarity, and clarity lives across the street or next door, but clarity won't get out their front door because they're afraid. Because I'm convinced, you know what, and this is the th one of the reasons we're so afraid. I can't be a good witness because, man, if people look at my life, I'm a mess. I can't tell you how many times people say, I can't be a witness. I'm a mess. Well, welcome to the club because we're all a mess. You know what? I'm convinced in the non-Christians that I know and have relationship with, you know one of the most refreshing things to them is when a Christian is willing to own up to their failure. That's what they're looking for. And the difference between a Christian who fails and a non-Christian who fails is that you and I live under the grace of God and we have access to forgiveness for our brokenness. But we have to be honest with it. Because I'm convinced some of you, you know, you're like, man, I live in an apartment and the wall's really thin and when I cuss at my kid, they hear me. Because you hear them cussing at their kid too. And you're like, I can't possibly tell them I'm a follower of Jesus because they'll look at me and think, what a hypocrite you are. You know what they're longing for? For you to say, yeah, you know what? I struggle with my kid too. And there's times when I lose my patience with my kid. And I raise my voice and I've cussed at my kid too. But you know what? I go before Jesus and I ask for his mercy and his forgiveness. And you know what he does? He forgives me. And I reconcile with my child and I try to make it right with them. And they try to learn to extend forgiveness to me. And I know I'm not perfect, but I know Jesus loves me. The world's dying for that. But what do they usually get? They get distance or judgment from us. Why? Because we haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't have the power and the confidence. Why? Because it's always about us. And God says, listen, I can give you a power and a confidence and ability that you can't do on your own so that you can be a witness and you can have confidence to talk to your neighbor. For some of you, it's not your neighbor. You know what it is? And I've said this before. There's some of you, God has called globally and you are fighting tooth and nail not to go. You're scared to death because you love where you live and you're comfortable, but you don't want to go hang out with people who eat differently and speak differently, and you don't want to go be in poverty, but God's already moved on your heart, but you're fighting it because you have yet to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that will compel you to go. This is the birth date of the church of Jesus Christ globally, and it started with the power of the Holy Spirit coming into people's lives, so not only do they experience the presence of God, God with man, but we experience the power of God, which is God through man, to others. That's what we need. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. We're going to have a time of uh, just, uh, we're going to sing a couple songs together, but we're going to give room for response to what God wants to do today. And here's what I'd like to do. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to, to leave your seat and to come forward. Now, before we do that, I want you to, to understand what, what we're doing in this moment, okay? Now, some 
when you, you, you're sitting here and you're maybe in one of two kind of areas, and that is maybe, you know, I've ex- you think I've experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit before. Uh, God gave me the gift of tongues, and I've spoken tongues, or I've prophesied, or he's, give, he's gifted me, which, by the way, don't follow a formula. When God fills you with his Spirit, God does what he wants to do. Because we have so many, oh, you know what, you have to do this, this, and this. No, nope. there's no, through the book of Acts, there is no formula for what happens when the Holy Spirit fills you. He does equip you, he does give you power, but that may look different for each person. But you may be sitting here and you think, well, yeah, I got that. No, this is for other people. No, 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 no. This is for you. Because Paul also says in Ephesians that we are supposed to be filled with the Spirit ongoingly, over and over and over and over again. But then there's others that maybe you've never experienced this. Maybe you've really prayed and you really are hungry and you want God to fill you with His Spirit, but you feel frustrated because you keep praying and nothing's happening. You keep pursuing, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking. Why? Because it may take one day for you, it may take 20. I don't know. I don't know the way God works, but I know that God works. Maybe there's a third category. You are resistant right now, and you're pushing back because in your background, religious background, you don't have a category for the power of God. You have a category for knowledge and information and teaching and behavior modification but when you start bringing up the holy spirit you're like ah don't go there this was a great church i loved antioch until pastor john started talking about the holy spirit and you got to go and ruin it for me that's happened in our church by the way the holy spirit's at the core of the church he has been for thousands of years it's not my idea it's god's if that's you, could you could it possibly be true that you are confused and disturbed right now because it's a sign that God is at work in your life? And he's saying there's another dimension to your experience in following me that you have yet to get to, and I'm wanting you to experience it, but you've pushed back theologically, and you've pushed back in your experience, and you have all the answers, and it's God saying finally to you today, you're not God. Let me be God. So I don't know where you're coming from, but I know one thing's for sure. God wants to fill all of us. God wants to empower all of us. God wants to give us a confidence in what he's doing in our life. He wants to bring freedom from sin. He wants to bring clarity and truth in life. He wants to do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. And this is what I'd like us to do. I'm going to ask you, if that's what you desire, in this moment, we don't always do that, but I'm going to ask you to come forward. Because so many times people say, oh, I'm, it's just me, me and Jesus, and I'm coming forward in my heart. Eh, not today. Sorry. There has to be some kind of physical response today. It doesn't have to be that way all the time, but today I feel like it's important. And there is no shame. If you feel like physically you have to stay in your seat, I understand. But, but if your desire is, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit today, then come forward right now. Come forward. The front is open. You can stand. You can kneel. You can sit. But when you all gather forward, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time as we conclude just worshiping Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to come do what he's going to do. Don't be afraid. Come forward. Come and let God do what he's going to do, okay? This is not a test of wills. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is for everyone. The power of God is for everyone. And if you've experienced this before, you can experience him again. If you haven't experienced him, he wants to fill you with his spirit today. So be a candidate. Be receptive. In between services, one of the people who's been a longtime part of our church came to me, and she said this. She goes, what I'm telling, I'm feeling today is our church is distracted. We're distracted by all this stuff out here that we're trying to fix. And Jesus is saying, if you'll just come to me, I'll take care of all the stuff you're trying to fix. And when she said that, I'm like, exactly. That's exactly what I feel in my life. I'm trying to fix all these things. And Jesus says, just let it fall and come to me and let me work in your life. 
So where you're at right now, if, if again, if you need space to kneel, you can make, people can move, and if you want to stand or sit or whatever you want to do, you can do that. But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship, and this is what I want you to do. In fact, close your eyes right now before I pray. When I pray, and then we go into a song or two, I want you to do this. I want you to focus not on what is happening in the room, but what is happening in you. What is Jesus saying to you? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Don't try to manufacture emotion. Let God bring it naturally. But God may do something that you don't expect him to do. He may give you a gift that you've never had before. But you know what he also might do? He may point out something in your life that you don't want him to touch. But he's saying, listen, I want to bring my fullness into your life. And by the way, sin does not disqualify you from the power of the Holy Spirit. But what it does do is it does distract you. And Jesus may point to that sin or brokenness and say, hey, listen, I want to apply my grace and mercy and forgiveness to that, but you've got to offer that over to me. And in offering that over to me, I'm going to fill you to the fullness of who I am by my spirit. So don't define, but just be receptive, receive. Let the soil of your heart be postured in a way that, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to come by your power, but I know I need to experience your power today. So Jesus, as we are standing here or kneeling here or we have come before you, we are candidates for your power in our lives. We have come to a place where we know we cannot make life work. We can't try harder. We can't come up with different techniques. But Lord, we know that your power changes everything about us because you, you are God and you work in the supernatural. So Lord, I pray as we come, as we worship you, that Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come right now? Would you go beyond our arguments, our brokenness, our sin, our doubt, our fears? And would you reach into our soul and would you ignite us? Would you fill us to the full so that, Lord, what it is that you want to do, it is identified clearly for each individual that they know that you are here, that you are present, that you are at work, and that you are filling them to the full. So, Holy Spirit, your will, not our will today. So come and fill your people once again as you have been doing for thousands of years. We ask for this and we anticipate your filling in these moments in Jesus' name.